0: Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, I turn to the words of Scripture and our faith for insights and inspiration as to how we can live in God's image and receive comfort and consolation for the challenges we face. I come from a Christian perspective, but I try to make my message accessible and meaningful for everyone. This week's sermon is in response to this week's dedication to Of three national memorials remembering Emmett Till, an African-American boy who was abducted, tortured, and lynched in Mississippi in 1955 at the age of 14. The Apostle Paul stated one of the main principles of the Christian faith in his letter to the Romans when he said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Put even more simply, All of us are sinners. The great struggle of the Protestant Reformation was triggered by a dispute over how we can have our sins erased, either by good works or through God's grace. But Roman Catholics and Protestants alike agree on one thing. We are all sinners. We do lip service to our sinfulness, but do we really believe it? Do we really confess it? How we deal with our sins is best described in First John, a letter which John wrote to an early Christian community in Asian, Asia Minor. Listen to the importance that John places on finding a way to deal with our sins. This is the message we have heard from Christ and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all our sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the Righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here ends the reading. John starts out by saying that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Throughout his writing, John uses light as a symbol for purity and dark as a symbol for sin. He is beginning by saying that God is completely, then, without sin. God, and only God, is pure goodness. If we want to say that we have fellowship with God, if we want to have a relationship with God, we cannot walk in darkness, meaning that we cannot live sinful lives. If we do immerse ourselves in sin, we are liars about being followers of God. But if we live in Christian community, Jesus will cleanse us from our sins. Paul, of course, says that we're all sinners. If we say that we're not sinners, we're only fooling ourselves. We're liars. What is required, first of all, then, is that we confess our sins. We need to acknowledge ourselves and others that we are sinners. That's a prerequisite that comes with a promise. If we confess, God will forgive. The righteous life goes on from there. In the Lutheran Church, in which I served for many years, each worship service began with a corporate confession of sins. This is also true, not only of other Lutheran churches, but many other denominations in one form or another. We stood and said together these or similar words. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Now this would be a pretty somber and discouraging way to kick off worship each week if it were not for the pronouncement of forgiveness that follows. And these are similar words. God, who is rich in mercy, loved us even when we were dead in sin and made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Almighty God, strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit that Christ may live in your hearts through faith. Amen. Confession and forgiveness are vital acts that we take part in so that we can establish and continue our relationship with Christ and live out our mission in the world. We must confess our sins before we can have them forgiven. We must be aware of our shortcomings before we can improve ourselves. We are painfully aware that our sin is not a one-and-done affair. And that's why we repeat these words week after week. To remind us of our continued brokenness and to press the reset button on our lives. Sinning isn't our real problem, but rather continuing to sin is our problem. This rite of confession and forgiveness is used corporately in public worship. We all confess our sins together, and that's powerful. But individual confession of sins is also an option. Private confession, is most known in the Roman Catholic Church, which usually takes place in the familiar confessional booth. But many other churches have similar rites of private confession. On occasion, I met with people in their homes or in my office to hear private confession as an ordained minister and granted them forgiveness on behalf of Christ. In my experience, private confession, just like corporate confession, serves a good person Purpose in relieving people from their burden of guilt for sins large or small. It gives a sense of starting over again. Well, going back to the passage that we began with, John is not only concerned with individual sin, he's also concerned with the sins of society or humanity. He says, Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins, listen to this, of the whole world. In fact, if you consider the totality of what we know about Jesus' ministry from the Gospels, he shows much greater concern for the sins of the society and culture of the world of the day than he is with individual offenses. For example, one of the most dramatic scenes in the Bible is when Jesus comes to the temple and overturns the tables of the money changers. In that case, he is making a forceful demonstration against the political, religious establishment of Israel who were taking economic advantage of faithful worshippers who wanted to honor God. Instead of using the funds collected in the temple for benevolent purposes, the leaders of the temple were using them to support their own elaborate lifestyle. The focus of Jesus' mission on helping the poor, the homeless, the sick, and the otherwise oppressed is paramount. And Jesus called people to repent for the kingdom of God was at hand. He called those money changers to change their ways. Those in power, though, denied their sin and executed him to shut him up. Spanish philosopher George Santayana is credited with the aphorism, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And similarly, British statesman Winston Churchill wrote, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. While neither Santayana or Churchill were talking about sin in the religious sense, the historical injustice and abuses to which they were referring would certainly fall within Jesus' understanding of sin. Now, with all of this in mind, recent trends to deny or whitewash the sins and flaws of our own nation's past are troubling. Attempts are being made to restrict educators from forthrightly teaching our children about the dark side of our national story. And every society has a dark side. There are many times throughout American history since our founding fathers that we could truly say that that our people walked in darkness. And that applies to our own recent history as well as ancient times. So it behooves us as individuals and as a people to open our hearts and minds to our heritage warts and all so that we do not continue to walk in darkness. Let me share, or confess, if you will, some darkness from my own personal history. When I was a child, my father described to me witnessing a public lynching of a young black man who had violated the local sundown laws in his hometown in Illinois. Sundown laws were simply laws that forbade people of color from remaining in certain towns after sundown. Notices to the effect were usually posted on signs at the city limits. And I can't repeat the words that were on the side of his hometown. This young man was accused of swiping some penny candy from a local five and dine. The lynching must have occurred about in the 1920s, which is not exactly ancient history. And decades later, I could see the sadness come over my dad's face as he told me how the victim's bulging eyes stared out at his murderers and him, even after the last mortal twitch subsided his broken body. Now, knowing my father's gentle temperament, I'm sure that he wouldn't have had an active role in instigating this horror, but he forever bore the guilt of being a part of that jeering crowd who stood by and watched just as surely as the crowds witness Jesus' agony on the cross. Forty years after my father's death, I still carry some of that shared darkness in my own heart. In confessing this, I have to admit that although I still share the shame, I feel some relief. I hope that my father felt similar relief when he confessed to me. On the other side of my family, my maternal grandmother and grandfather came from Germany in the 19th century. Even though they were productive, proud American citizens, they held firmly to their German identity and still spoke German in our home when we lived with them in my early childhood. And my brother, who was 18 years older than me, remembers seeing my grandpa, listening to the radio, stand from his chair and give the Nazi salute and shout Heil Hitler when the voice of the Fuhrer rang out on the news. Later, their son, my uncle, fought in World War II in the U.S. Navy and was considered a hero by my grandparents when he survived the torpedoing of his battleship. Now, no discernible anti-Semitism was overtly passed down to my siblings and me that I am aware of. Growing up in a small Iowa town, the always Jewish people I knew of were characters in the Bible, stories I heard at Sunday school, and I made no association with them and what was going on a world away. But no matter how tenuously, my heritage connected me personally to one of the most tragic and shameful events in history. The Holocaust is undeniably a part of my history to that I confess. Now, am I just overly sensitive to my past? After all, like most of you, I had nothing to do with any of those events. But I don't think I am being overly sensitive. This passage from Exodus describes the events surrounding Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. And it says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Here ends the reading. So what purpose does my confession serve at this distant point in history? Those events are over and done. Well, journalist Ida B. Wells, who bravely wrote about the lynchings of the late 19th and early 20th centuries, wrote, the way to right wrongs is to shine the light of truth on them. And so, as we erect monuments to Emmett Till, we are shining the light of truth on a great wrong. A wrong that has been repeated many times over. These monuments will stand as a confession of the sins of the past in which we all share. Their purpose is not to perpetuate shame, but to assure us that God, who is merciful and just, will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and bless us as individuals and as a nation. At the signing of a proclamation to establish a national memorial to Emmett Till this week and to his mother, President Joe Biden said, At a time when there are those who seek to ban books and bury history, we're making it clear, crystal clear, that while darkness and denialism can hide much, they erase nothing. Only with the truth comes healing, justice, repair, and another step forward toward forming a more perfect union. And remember what we have just heard. We do this with the assurance that God, who is rich in mercy, loved us even when we were dead in sin and made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. In the name of Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. Almighty God, strengthen us with power through the Holy Spirit that Christ may live in our hearts Through faith. Amen. Now may God continue to bless you, and may God continue to bless America. Amen.